like to again thank you all for being here this evening. Hopefully something that I have to share with you this evening out of God's Word will be of benefit to you. We continue on with Paul and his uh, still on the, the defense. It's going to be a, a long defense as we're going to find as he goes through the, the book of Second Corinthians. Uh, the defense of his apostleship and the defense of his character as an apostle. But he begins our uh, study there this evening. In verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. And as always, we know that when we see the word therefore, as we have said many times before, that therefore it's a conclusion of something that has been talked about previously. So the conclusion that he's making here is of what we were studying in some of the the studies last uh, Wednesday in chapter 3. But it's a, a conclusion of that they were reflecting the image of Christ through the ministry. And that's what he talked about in the, the previous chapter was about this, uh, this glorious gospel and how much better it was uh, than the law that they had, but the gospel of Christ was even that much better. And how glorious it was and that they were uh, reflecting that image of Christ through this ministry. And he said there, since we have this ministry, so he's again still talking about the ministry that he was talking about in chapter 3. So it was that glorious one that he was speaking of in chapter 3. And Paul said, as we have received mercy. You know, Paul wants to affirm to the Corinthians that there is no arrogance, no self-confidence in himself in this ministry. And that that it comes purely from God and that he was granted mercy to be in it. Just as uh, not only was Paul, but Timothy and the other apostles, they were all received mercy because, you know, as we have talked about before, all have sinned and fallen short of the, God, the glory of God. All people were deserving of death until Jesus Christ gave his life. So, all of us, in a sense, have received this mercy, but Paul specifically says, as we have received mercy, him and Timothy and some of the others, he wanted them to know that it was because of this mercy that he was in the work that he was in. We find in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 through 16, Paul there, speaking of himself to Timothy, he said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So Paul wants to portray this idea that as we have received mercy, that that's the reason why he's in this ministry. But he follows that up by saying that he said because of this and since we have this ministry and that we've received mercy, he says, we do not lose heart. You know, 
Paul decided that no matter the persecutions or if death or, or even the ridicule that he was suffering from the Corinthians, you know, they gave him lots of ridicule. They talked about his, uh, his presence and his manner of speaking and, and all of these other things. But it didn't matter to Paul at all in this ministry. He said, we do not lose heart. And Paul knew that I think through all of these things that they, the apostles and, and everyone in general, would always triumph. He said uh, in chapter 2, in the previous verses, in verse 14, he said, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So Paul did not lose heart. Timothy and the others would probably not lose heart as well because they know that they would always triumph in Christ. Through no matter what happened, no matter the persecutions or death or that God was with them through all of these things and that they would be not able to lose heart. And also Paul understood, I believe, the importance of the ministry. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So even with this not losing heart, I think Paul realized the, uh, he knew that the power of the gospel, it says the power of God to salvation was the gospel. And he did not lose heart in preaching that gospel because he knew that people's lives and people's, excuse me, people's souls depended on it. Their eternal salvation depended on it. So no matter all these things that came his way, since he had this ministry and had received this mercy, he felt obligated and uh, constrained to preach that gospel to everyone who would listen to save their souls as well. He continued on there in the second verse. It says, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He said, We have renounced the hidden things of shame. Now, I want you to know, usually when you renounce something, it's something that you've already done before, and you're now renouncing it and saying that you're not going to do it again. I don't believe that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul did not uh, used to do hidden things of shame as, as what we're, uh, what I see from the context here, but this renouncing, we'll find out further on in the verse that he's talking about the the things of shame that the uh, maybe that the pagan priest and other people who used deceitful means handling the word of God and other things did. So he renounces those things that they're not going to use those type of things. Only that he refused to use dishonest means to further the gospel. Because he said there that they were not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. You know, it was a common thing for uh, the pagan rituals at the time and the the ones that, you know, uh, the word slipped my mind right now, but that the pagans used, you know, they had all these uh, different ways of worship and they used, they liked to use trickery in their religion to make it seem like that they were, you know, religious or, or something. Uh, that maybe what they were saying was true by some kind of trickery. And 
<clears throat> you know, when you think about this, I, I can't help but think of the movie The Wizard of Oz. And you remember, if you've ever watched The Wizard of Oz, you know they had this big thing with its, you know, eyes in the flame and smoke coming out of it, and you know this big voice that's saying, you know, I am the great Oz or whatever. And but you know, really behind it, it was just some little guy working, you know, joysticks or whatever and doing all these weird things to make people think that it was some big thing that they were, but they used trickery to get their points across. And it was a common thing for them to do that at this time. But Paul wants these people to know that we don't do stuff like that. There is no trickery in what we do. We don't handle the word of God deceitfully. There's no craftiness in what we do. We're very simple about our approach. You know, they didn't manipulate the scriptures as did false teachers to further their purpose either. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17, Paul said, Therefore we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity. But as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. And that word peddling, if you look it up, it kind of means adulterating for gain. So Paul wanted them to realize that, you know, we're not twisting this word of God around for gain on our purposes and handling the word of God uh, in a deceitful manner. Exactly as some did, if you find in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul stated there when he was talking about that there were some that had been turned to another gospel already. He says, which this gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So there were some who would use the gospel for their own gain. They would pervert the gospel. They would do it after their, uh, so they could get people walking after their own means. And they did it by their own desires because they wanted people following after them or they wanted people believing what they thought that the scriptures should say. He continues on there and says, but instead of that, he says, we did it by manifestation of the truth. A manifestation meaning making known of the truth. Paul said, he said, they simply made the truth known by stating it as it is. There was no trickery as we were talking about there was no need to embellish the truth at all paul said in first corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1 through 5 you may remember us studying this before paul writing there to the corinthians the first time he says and i brethren when i came to you did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of god for i determined not to know anything among you except jesus christ and him crucified I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul wanted them to know, even in 2 Corinthians, that, you know, he, he just wanted to portray the gospel simply and effectively without any embellishment he continued in that verse said committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God 
you know, uh, <clears throat> Paul's simply saying, you know, that we're speaking the truth so that a person's conscience could basically prove that it's true. If you look in Romans chapter 2 and verse 14 through 15, there Paul stated, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts and their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So when you talk about uh, a person's conscience, the conscience is what, you know, basically determines, we determine what is right and what is wrong. And Paul was saying that even there was a time when even when the people did not have the law of Moses, that there were certain things that their conscience bore them witness that there were certain things that were just plain out wrong. They didn't have to be necessarily told that it was wrong. You know, when we talk about uh, going out and, and committing murder, the majority of the population probably does not need a law or anything that says you can't commit murder, that's not right. Because most of us realize by conscience that it's just not right to take somebody's life. It's, it's a wrong thing to do. So Paul was commending themselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God to see that they should realize that the things that Paul was saying was true. Uh, that, you know, there was no need to embellish it or anything. That just the, the simplicity and the, the fact of no showmanship about it maybe would commend their conscience to them you know Jesus needed no embellishment too if you look in John chapter 8 and verse 9 this was the the story where the the woman who was caught in adultery supposedly in the very act and he was brought to the Pharisees there and they said that she should be stoned that's what the law says and Jesus said uh, well he who is without sin among you cast the first stone and it says there that then those who heard this, or heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So even Jesus, when it come to people's conscience, he didn't have to make uh, some super big speech or embellish it or show any fancy signs or whatever. Jesus just simply spoke the truth and he said, basically he told these Pharisees, it's like, none of you are without sin, so I wouldn't throw a stone if I were you. If I was to paraphrase what Jesus said. And it was their conscience realizing that they knew that the particular thing they were doing was wrong, then they shouldn't do that because... Uh, they were going about it with, with the wrong intent. Sure, that's what the law said, but their intention, they were overzealous in uh, upholding the law. He continues on in verse 3 and 4. He says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You know, when he says, uh, but even if our gospel is veiled, the gospel is not something now that is a mystery as it once was before it was revealed to us. And to some, if it is veiled, 
or if it's not clear or not understandable or they're blind to see it, it is not the fault of the gospel itself. The gospel is clear, it's simple, and easy to understand. But to some, it will be veiled. He says it is veiled to those who are perishing. You know, this does not mean that it can't be understood by those who are perishing, that there's only certain people who can understand this gospel, for it's a simple message. And God said, or the, the word of God says that, you know, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we know that it's not veiled to everyone, but only to those who are, are perishing. And this would... Uh, This would not mean that it can't be understood by those who are perishing, else, you know, we would be lost as well, but it is not of interest to those who would rather live in darkness. You know, there are some who are willfully blind. In John chapter 3 and verse 19, Jesus said, And this is the condemnation that the light, the speaking of, of him being the light, has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. There are just some who would rather live in darkness than they would come to the light. And some of these individuals have been blinded. It says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. You know, most of us realize, of course, that the God of this age refers to Satan. And, you know, not that Satan is a God a literal God with divine power as God the Father is, but that the earthly realm with all of its darkness and its sin and the the fleshliness of, of this world, this is his domain. And through whatever means that he has to use against us, he would blind people from accepting the gospel. You know, if you take the Jews uh, in the previous chapter in Second. Corinthians 3 and verse 14 it says but their minds even speaking of Israel says but their minds were blinded for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ so there even the uh, the people of Israel were still blinded to that very day by rejecting Christ by rejecting the gospel and their minds were blinded. That same veil still remained over them and blinded. And it says, and Satan really is the one who blinds these individuals. It says, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You know, Satan, he despises the gospel. I'm sure he hates it with a with a passion because you know he loses he'll lose a soul or loses a soul when someone responds to that gospel when someone gives their life to Christ and goes over to the good side if you will from the dark side then Satan loses a soul and he's not happy with that and so to keep that from happening Satan's going to use any means necessary that he can He's going to use whatever trickery or deceit as the pagans did. He'll use false teaching or he'll blind people through just flat out rejection of the gospel. Flat out because they want to live in darkness and they'll reject that light 
That's where he wants to keep them. Otherwise, the light of the gospel would expose his darkness. You know, if you were to think of an illustration, an actual blind person, and I'm, and I'm talking about a person not who has ever uh, had sight and then went blind, but a person who has been blind from birth. An actual blind person does not know whether they are in light or darkness. So you can see the relationship of how Satan blinds people, that that's how Satan wants to keep people. If you don't know that you're in darkness, you know that you don't know the difference. So you have, uh, <clears throat> I really thought I had a better, <laughs> my mind went blank on that. But you can, I think you can see the, the point that I was trying to make. The light would expose the darkness and, and People who are blind, just they do not know that they're in darkness. So they'll keep wandering in darkness. They don't know the difference between light or darkness. And that's the way Satan wants to keep individuals these days. He wants to keep them in darkness and not knowing really the difference between the light or the darkness. Because if you don't, then it's, then it's obviously you're on the road on the wrong path. He continued there in verse 5 says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. You know, Paul and the other apostles, they did not seek after their own recognition as false teachers do. You know, in Romans chapter 16 and verse 18, there are some where Paul said the people who caused divisions and offenses that were contrary to the doctrine of Christ. He says, For those who are such, do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. So people like this, when they serve their own belly, they pretty much, what he's saying is, is that they they serve their own purpose. They uh, do things so men will follow after them, or they'll say the things that they want to preach and hopefully deceive people to following what they have to say. But Paul and the apostles were not like that. He says, we don't preach ourselves. We don't lift ourselves up. We don't preach anything but Christ Jesus the Lord and him only. And <clears throat> false teachers as well as the pagan priests at the time, they had their own interests in mind as far as serving their own belly is what that means. But Paul defends himself as to not be that way. All they do is preach Jesus and the gospel and simple and nothing more as we have seen pretty much in this whole passage that that's what he's speaking about. He says, and they preached themselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Again, Paul felt obligated to preach the gospel as we said before. He felt constrained because of the mercy that he had been given. And he felt obligated to preach it, to continue this ministry. He said in 1 Corinthians 9 and 16 that woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul knew that there was a, uh, a necessity of preaching it and that he was constrained to do so. People's souls were at stake if he did not. And <clears throat> Paul being a bondservant for Jesus' sake, you know, Jesus said in Mark 10 and verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Now, while Paul did not 
give his life for our sin. Jesus was the only one that could do that. Paul did, though after his conversion, give his life in service because of his his own sins. He felt it necessary that because what he said earlier about having received mercy, that that's what he should do. He should be a servant for Jesus, not only Jesus, but also for his fellow man to minister to them. He, like Jesus, served rather than was served. And he modeled Jesus, I believe, very well. And, you know, in 1 Corinthians 9, he also said that, you know, I became all things unto all men, that by all means I might save some. So Paul had that servant mentality, and he preached here that we are your bond servants for Jesus' sake. We are here to serve you by this ministry of the gospel. And then finally in verse 6, he says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you know, again in his defense, he is saying that none of this ministry that he is in is from him. It's not man-made, but it's divinely inspired. Only comes from God, their creator. And it's being worked through him by the power of God, but not of his own desire. And by that, I mean that he didn't dream this up. It's This isn't something out of Paul's own making that he decided this, you know, come up with this big master plan and this story to go do all of this. But it was by mercy that he received and that his constraint to be a servant and to preach the gospel. And he's also saying, I believe, that since this gospel and ministry was about Jesus, through whom we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, then all recognition for whatever happens in this ministry, all recognition and praise belongs to God and God alone, not him and not any of the other apostles. <clears throat> so if you were to... Sorry, I got a case of dry mouth today. If you were to give a synopsis, I believe, of this passage, you could say about what Paul would be saying is, you know, since we have this glorious gospel ministry by the grace and mercy of God, said so we will preach it fervently, no matter the cost, not through any deceitful means, but through simplicity and truth. And it may very well be rejected by many because there are people who would rather live in darkness than light. But that's not our own fault. It's not the gospel's fault. It's Satan's fault who has blinded people. And we will preach it not to be recognized by men, but because we love our fellow man and we're constrained to do it and to share the gospel with them. And because we love God and our fellow man who gave us the knowledge of his glory through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, Therefore, this ministry, you know, it's not to our glory, but to God's. So, in Paul, his uh, situation could be very similar, very similar to ours today. You know, in application, if we think about this, you know, all of us, just like Paul and Timothy and all the others, have received this same mercy. 
we've all been given a ministry of the gospel. We're to go out and preach the gospel to anybody who will hear it. And we need to make sure that whenever we go into the world and we're teaching this gospel that we're not doing it like there are some out even to this day who will use deceitful means and showmanship to preach this gospel, but yet we need to not handle it deceitfully. We need to not walk in craftiness, but we, in the same way, need to preach it with simplicity and truth. That way, people will see the truth and their conscience will convict them. And uh, we need to realize that you know, to some people when we preach in the world today that we need to not lose heart. There are going to be some people, even to this day, and even until the time that Jesus comes back, who will reject the gospel. And that we need to take that and, and move on and go find a soul who will accept the gospel. And be a servant. Preach. Don't preach yourself, but preach Christ Jesus and Him only. And give Him all the glory and honor that he deserves while we do it. And don't lose heart. And these are all the things that I have to say to you this evening. I hope that something I have said will have benefited you, that you will look at this uh, <clears throat> this ministry that we have and do it more fervently than we have in the past and be humble about it when we do it. We... Uh, never like to close the service without offering a song of encouragement or invitation if you feel like you haven't been living up to to this of what paul has talked about here and you would like to make that known would like prayers on your behalf we invite you to come forward and have a seat on the front or if you've never obeyed the gospel we invite you to take care of that today as well before it's too late there'll be one of either case we invite you to come forward have a seat on the front while we stand and sing